0: Welcome to At the Source. Today we're really lucky to be sitting down with Justin Walker, executive chef and co owner of critically acclaimed Walker's Main in New England, USA. He's one of the region's most highly regarded chefs with a passion for farm to table and sustainable cookery. He has also worked on charity projects with the James Beard Foundation and Share Our Strength. He's here in the UK with the Culinary Diplomacy Project and the US Embassy to celebrate the 400th anniversary of the Mayflower's voyage from the UK to the USA. Christopher Jones, captain of the Mayflower, for which the pub was named, is buried not far from where we sit. And rumor has it that he cunningly moored here to avoid paying taxes further down the river in what was then London proper. Pretty cheeky. Anyway, let's get back to the modern day and our guest, Justin. Thank you so much for squeezing us into your busy schedule.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: This is a very serious question. What is your first memory of food?
1: My first memory of food would be my grandfather's uh, sausage and peppers. He was Italian-American, first generation, and we had that at every meal.
2: So when you say sausage and peppers, so he's got sausage and... Capsicum. And he's like slow cooking them? Or? Exactly.
1: So onions, common Italian peppers or bell peppers. They, he always had a garden, so he always grew them. But they were just like, you didn't know, but they were just delicious. And then sweet or sweet and spicy Italian sausages. And you just cook them all day long in a, in a pan really slowly.
2: That sounds amazing. That sounds really, really good. It's interesting that it was your grandfather's and not your grandmother's.
1: Yeah, so my grandfather was um, a cook in the U.S. Army during World War Two. and um he loved food and all of my sort of early memories of cooking and being in the kitchen and the family meals especially thanksgiving um were with him he was the cook of the he was the cook of the family
2: that's so interesting did your grandmother cook at all?
1: no not that I remember honestly like she would set the table and do all that sort of stuff and he would be cooking at you know 5 a.m and you know cook the whole meal breakfast and the whole thing
0: do you think that's where your love of food came from oh
1: 100 yeah definitely the house always smelled like you know garlic and onions and oregano and you know this good the, stuff yeah good stuff
2: did either of your parents cook much or is it really from your grandfather that you we always
1: uh, both my parents cooked a fair amount when I was growing up now, particularly well. Um, they weren't chefs per se. It was more, you know, we would always have meals around the table. Um, my dad loved to grill obviously in the summer. Um, and we ate really nice things like where I grew up in upstate New York, we had amazing melons and corn and squashes and summer squash and beans and things like that. So we always had a garden at home. We always bought things from local farmers when I was a kid. Um, and we always had salad we always had, you know, multi-course. But it wasn't like, I wouldn't say they were that either one of them were like chefs per se. But that's where I really fell in love with just good food.
0: So you're here in the UK with the Culinary Diplomacy Project and some other chefs as well. Can you tell us a little bit about this trip?
1: Yeah, so the idea is to spread the word that modern chefs and modern households in america are having the meal celebrating the meals what it means to our families what it means to the community and and and, and really taking time out of our busy lives because the world's busy now america's mm-hmm. crazy busy and so it's the kind of once a year where you sit down you have a meal um, and there's a lot of thought that goes into it and everybody every different every household has their has their uh, um you know different rendition of it and, and and history of it and uh you know it's the idea is to spread that that word that we're not just eating you know you guys i think call them chips and <laughs> and uh and hamburgers
2: okay so what what is your family thanksgiving looking like
1: so our family thanksgiving like takes shape the january before so you know wow
2: that's a long time it's, of planning.
1: so it's a long time of planning so every year in around january my wife um starts working on sourcing seeds so you know good food starts with amazing true heirloom
2: sorry i'm just gonna stop you there so when you're talking about thanksgiving you're talking about you're growing all
1: yeah, I'm not I'm, and cool. I'm not exa- and I'm not exaggerating, you know. Our, my wife's family um uh came from England in 1627. Um and they there's 16 generations to live in Cape wow. Um the farm that we live in, which is her family's farm. Our son is sixth generation to live in that farm.
2: Wow. Um,
1: I think I misspoke earlier. It was it was it was built in 1742. Um, it has a huge barn and it's a small little farmhouse. It's not fancy, but it's like it has that feel. So my wife's dream was to take over which was then her grandma's house um and turn it back into a farm. So she slowly but surely over the last decade been doing that.
0: It must be so amazing for you and it's a shame that your wife can't join you to be here and kind of learning a little bit about the history of the Mayflower and where Mm -hmm. we are in Rotherhithe with the 400th anniversary of the first pilgrims going out to the USA bearing in mind that your wife's family were quite early yeah quite you know this was 1620 and you're saying that your wife's family came in 1627 yeah that's really amazing isn't it
1: we're, yeah. we're I mean, history nerds. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, it's my wife's been accused of not being local before, and uh, but she has has done her genealogy. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> all the way back to England and clearly is about as local as you can get as about as local as you can get in America, I guess. Um, so, you know, that's always been an important thing to her and her family and, and by lieu of marriage, it's, it's become important to me as well. And I, and our son is, he doesn't know any better. He's starting to learn. He's nine. Um, that what we do is kind of a little different, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, he's, he's a, he's a foodie, that's for
2: sure.
0: So we need to jump back now to the point when you started telling us about the fact that you plan your Thanksgiving dinner almost a year in advance by yeah. choosing what seeds you're going to plant? Yeah.
1: So, I mean, clearly we have, America has a major problem and, and, you know, we want everything quickly and expensively. We want it perfect, but look the same. And that just doesn't really exist in nature and mm-hmm. in reality. So, you know, my wife is really, really into sourcing true heirloom seeds. Um, and they're incredibly, you know, difficult to grow and the thing, but honestly, it, nature is beautiful and we've, I somehow lost track of what it was originally originally originally, but she always, uh, we always have pumpkin roasted pumpkin which you know, everybody thinks of as pies and sweet and all that sort of thing. We always put it in our stuffing and she grows these um, heirloom Godiva pumpkins and they're actually green and yellow variegated when they're ripe. They're not orange and they're spectacular they're beautiful. Um, she goes several other kinds too that we use in the restaurant. We also use um, throughout the year, but that roasted Godiva pumpkin is what has become our modern um, symbol for our Thanksgiving.
2: And what are you serving that
1: with? So we always generally will roast two. So we roast one, just roasted whole. Um, little maple syrup, of course, from Maine, um, and um, and just some nice butter and sea salt, and, and and that's it. And then we and then we also take some, and we the, the interesting part of the Godiva pumpkin is the seeds. They don't have a husk, so they look exactly like a pepita or like what you would think of as like an edible pumpkin seed. Mm-hmm. That's how they look out of the pumpkin. So they're very special seeds. So she saves some for the next year, and then also uh, we we usually uh, have some for a snack, um, and then we'll do one pumpkin we roast in 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 the oven in in chunks if you will and we we incorporate that into our stuffing
2: sounds so good sounds really good you never really think about over here pumpkin doesn't seem to be a massive thing and then you kind of... Yeah, we're
1: crazy about pumpkins. Mm. I mean, we, we we grow... I don't know. We grow probably 800 to 1,000. She'll grow about 800 to 1,000 pounds worth of pumpkin a year. And it's all different kinds. Uh, Long Island Cheese Pumpkin is one of my favorites. It looks like mm. the Cinderella pumpkin.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, that's like uh, one of the best pumpkins there is, and the skin's edible. Um, And then she does the Godiva's, we'll do some sugar pumpkins. Um, She'll do uh, long pie pumpkins. Um, She'll do Boston Marrow. Technically, they are a pumpkin She does um, blue Hubbard squash, um, so we grow all those things, and then we buy a lot for the restaurant, obviously, because mm. we can't possibly. Um, and she's always testing new things. And but the good, I have a pumpkin has become sort of the symbol. It's just it's been sitting in our kitchen, you know, ripening, for and it went in the ground. Uh, I think they put those in the ground in like in May.
0: That is very cool.
1: So you'll
2: be back in time for actual Thanksgiving dinner, will you? I will. I, I, feel, I feel so sorry for you <laughs> if you're talking about all of this and then you don't actually
1: no, get to No, no, no. I will definitely be there for it. Yeah.
2: So you grew up loving food. Uh, I'm assuming you were a chef before you met your wife. Yes. So what what made you decide to turn that love of food into your career?
1: Um, well, I – so, you know, food was always a thing. I grew up – I just loved – you know, even if it was – you know, hamburgers on the on the grill outside, like we were cooking our own food. Mm. So unlike unlike sort of Americans nowadays where everything's restaurants or they're going fast food or it's got to be a pre-patty burger or whatever we never did that like Mm. that just didn't happen we just made food right out of raw ingredients Um, so I just love food when I was a high level ski racer in America and
2: um, I and I
1: would um, I went to boarding school I was very very lucky and my parents said listen you will support the ski racing thing but you need to figure out a way to help us financially with it and I was Mm -hmm. young so I started a landscaping business, mowing lawns and things. Hysterical story there, long tangent. But uh, I needed to make more money. So I got a job washing dishes at night. So I would do the lawn mowing in the daytime and then I all summer. My parents said, if you work hard all summer, we'll figure out a way to make it happen.
2: How old were you?
1: When I was 13, 12, 13, wow. 14. So I fell in love. And I worked in a great restaurant in our hometown, New York, that happened to just be an incredible learning experience. And I always knew right from then that's what I wanted to do. So I was a little scared to tell my parents that I want to be a chef. Because remember, this is 1988, 89, 90, around in there, where being a chef wasn't on TV. Mm. So most people thought it was a you know fairly blue-collar, mm. you know, you know, not an amazing career option, but my parents supported it and they never, they always supported it. And so the sort of the rest is history. And I just knew as soon as I was done with my athletic part of my life that I wanted to to go to culinary school and, and sort of take all what I learned in the industry already and, and tie it together with, with some schooling and the rest is history.
2: Now I'm assuming some things happened in the ensuing years, and then you met your wife,
1: yeah, so yeah, so I start. I was in college ski ski racing, I think it was ninety six was my last year in ski ski racing and the the one of the good culinary schools in America was in Vermont at the time, and it was really close to where I was going to business school, so when I said, listen, I'm done racing, like I'm not going to waste my money on." You know accounting classes maybe i should have i'm gonna i'm going to go right to culinary school because i want to cook you know what i mean so it was it was like literally one day i was a ski racer the next day i was a full-time culinary student it was virtually that quick so um i uh, had to do an internship. Um, I ended up moving to Maine and found this amazing restaurant. And then about a year or two later, I met I met her in year two thousand.
0: Maine sounds like such a great place for you because clearly nature and the outdoors has always played a big part in your life. And now you have this restaurant that sits on the farm that we talked about earlier. Yeah. So I just wanted to kind of dig in a bit deeper as a Brit and an Aussie. Mm who don't really know a lot about the food of Maine what kind of things could we expect to see on your menus and what kind of ingredients shout new England
1: well first of all it depends on the season so you know unlike ever most places in America we we don't use tomatoes year-round right we only use them when they're in season um so if you're coming, my quintessential time of the year would be September October. You have all of the harvests that you'd have in the middle of the summer because Maine has a very short growing, growing season. So the things you think of as like summer are really not until September, October, like tomatoes are spectacular in September, October. Mm. Like they're not really a summer thing. So if you're thinking regional and you think about going to Maine, that's what you're going to be looking for, for me. Um, and you still have all the beautiful forage mushrooms. We have so many wild mushrooms. Um, uh, I mean, it takes some skill to get them. Um, but you know, everything's kind of in full bloom. You have chicken of the woods, you have hen of the woods, you have yellowfoots, you have chanterelle, black trumpets. So you have all that stuff sort of happening. Matsutakis. Um, Sort of, kind of all at once. So that's like, if you're going to a real restaurant, like a really good restaurant that's like doing the thing, sourcing the ingredients, cooking what's local, that's what you're going to be looking for. Amazing vegetables, lettuce greens start to become good again because it gets cooler. Um, it's really the perfect time of year. You're you're starting with your winter squashes and you're finishing off on your summer squashes. Um, you know, so it's you know, I would say September, October, you can basically the world is your oyster. You're coming in the middle of the winter. You can see things, still see things like um, oyster mushrooms. You can get those right through um, December, through the first, like real hard snow. Um, and then you can even see, uh, you know, we do a lot of forage ingredients. You can see things like tea berries, which is like a wintergreen, wild wintergreen. Um, and if you plan right, you know, you have a lot of you can have a lot of stuff through the winter um you know we we buy and, and around this time of year we buy a lot of like potatoes maine, maine potatoes are some of the best in the country in the u.s so like our, a
2: bias opinion
1: well <laughs> maine is known for potatoes and i have to say there's a potato that's grown in freiburg maine which is not far from where we are about 45 minutes um and it's like Everybody uses in French fries. They're the best French fries, best chip potato, excuse me. Um, And I won't use any other potato for it. And so like, that's one particular one. And then in the really, really local farms that, you know, they're, they're a, there are never ever no, you know, no antibiotics. They're they're doing it right, mm-hmm. but they produce a lot of potatoes. But we'll buy four or five hundred pounds from a local farmer, and we'll, we get those around this time of year. Th- those will keep for a few storm them probably, They'll mm-hmm. keep until next summer. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's sort of one thing you do realize when you buy like that and you grow your things and you're and you're really responsibly sourcing your product. You realize how old <laughs> commodity produce is and mm-hmm. how old the stuff you're buying in the market it is. Um, and if you grow it right, store it right, you can have things year round. So.
2: When you decided to have the restaurant on the farm, because we all know that starting a business is really hard. Mm. Um, and I think most of us know that starting a hospitality business yeah. is even harder than that. What were the conversations that you were having with your wife?
1: Well, I mean, I think... conversation we're having is like, how do we feel? We know we want to grow things. We know we want to serve the best possible product. We think we know what we're doing as far as how we produce them and how we train our staff. And that's a whole other topic. But like, how does it make us feel? And and exactly what you said. What should I expect when I go to Maine? What do you think of as Maine? Well, when I travel you know, I'm coming here. I'm not thinking fish and chips. I've had fish and chips and I know it's like your thing and all that. I've had it in Iceland, right? That's like where it comes from. Do you know what I mean? So like, for me, what do I want to have here? Well, I want to have like, what's current, what's cool, what's interesting. And what what is a 25 year old chef doing with, you know, with the, with the Sunday roast, meal what's that look like in 2019 from a chef that's 25 years old you know what i mean because that's modern like there's nothing wrong with that you know what i mean like i think food food and and cultures are are changing because everywhere is a melting pot so to say one particular particular thing is maine like maine is known for lobster Do I eat bakes? I've never eaten a baked stuffed lobster. If you ask 9 out of 10 people what they want to have in Maine, it's going to be like a baked stuffed lobster. I've never even eaten one because baking and stuffing a lobster is not the way to cook a (laughs) lobster. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But yet, that's what they're known for. Mm. And I'm sure there's things in your your food culture that is exactly the same you would think like you know that piece of fish you're cooking the bejesus side would be better if you had it raw you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. because you're it's modern you know and you're rethinking things so what we thought of is like what does it make what do, how do we want to feel you know everybody you know i love fried seafood and that's a big main thing um I love boiled lobster. That's another big main thing. And there's places that do that. And they do it really well. And But they're the sense of place. It's like you're sitting on a picnic table in the grass with roll of paper towels and you're having your lobster. Mm-hmm. You don't want to sit in a fancy restaurant, a leather chair, eating a lobster, right? So that it's how that makes you feel. So that's what we thought of when we were doing this was how do we want to feel? And when we travel, of course, we want to do the like, you know lobster in the rough, like the, the dirty raw food. And then we also want to do like a meal and experience. And so that's how we, we thought, what do we want to serve? And how would that make us feel? And so, you know, we have Southeast Asian dishes on the menu. We have Japanese dishes on the menu. We have, you know, English dishes on the menu. We have, it's all over the place because the products are getting one themselves. And like, if I get a certain product, like I, we grew a ton of holy holy basil this year, which you oh, never see; it's delicious. spectacular, yeah. right? But you are not going to make Italian food with it. Yeah, no. do you know what I mean? So, like, but we have all these, you know, we have long beans, and we grew these beautiful radishes, and we can make an Asian dish that's still main.
0: It's main because you are taking those local, exactly. homegrown ingredients, but applying types of food that right. suit them.
1: I mean, it's like it's like Nobu, like one of the most you know well-known chefs in the world. Like he does. If you ask them, anybody, they're going to say he's Japanese chef. I mean, yeah, he does Peruvian food, which yeah. has a, a heavy Japanese influence, mm-hmm. yeah. and and it's modern Peruvian food, and it's amazing. You know yeah. what I mean? So like, that's kind of where we're at.
0: Where do you get your influences from, then?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't know. Everywhere. Like, I mean, you know, it could be as simple as having something really bad.
0: <laughs> I can <laughs> do this better.
1: Exactly. You know, like you know, like I was on a cruise ship uh, this past year, and, and I had trace leches like a hundred different ways, and it was terrible.
0: He had. What, Tres sorry.
1: leches, the cake, trayslaches. So it's it's a it's a sponge like cake soaked in, soaked in three milks. Yeah, right. Mm. It's delicious. Okay. You would love it.
2: It's, and it's, it's Latin American. Okay. Yeah,
1: it's amazing. Mm. And uh, but this was like done really poorly, right? That's so a shame. Know, we can do that better. Mm. You know, so we did we did it we did it with coconut milk and mm. our. Kaheta, uh, goat's milk caramel from our goats and goat's mm. milk and Kit Kat ice cream so that's where I'll like oh. bend the rules a little bit
2: that sounds where really I, good where my
1: upstate New York upbringing like middle America upbringing is like I like Oreo cookie ice cream I like kit kat ice cream i like there's certain things that i'll kind of like you know what i mean um so that was what we came up with out there so something i had that i did that was like this is really poor but i can do better you know
2: do you make requests to your wife i really want to cook with this next year can you start so
1: i probably have the hardest time in the world doing that so she's loves like looking at seeds and loves picking stuff so what i tell her is surprise me you know, I, there's certain things she knows. I really like. I really like the herb lovage or lavage, which is like a it's sort of the ancient precursor to um, to celery, and I love it. And you, and you don't see it a lot. And if you buy it, it tends to be old. So mm. you know, if you grow it, it's spectacular. So she grew that for me. She knows I love radishes, so we got all kinds of different radishes. Um, and this year, she did uh, some amazing cucumbers, orange ones, and oh, never, wow. most of them I've never even heard of, or ever even seen before. She did tomatoes a couple of years ago these tomatoes called a traveler's tomato and it's a traveler's tomato because it looks like a cluster of cherry tomatoes that grows into one tomato and the idea is you would just break off a piece and eat it it's one tomato
0: that sounds good
1: but um you know and they're spectacular how did
0: you cook those
1: you don't those you have to eat raw right yeah but then she'd grow san marzano's which you don't hardly i don't i've never been able to buy those ever Mm. fresh anywhere so she'll grow a bunch of san marzano's and we'll preserve them but generally you know we'll put we'll put them on a pizza or something um and they'll be gone in a week and then we start over so right now we have a glove peppers so um we're doing peppers like on everything
2: are you cooking your grandfather's dish
1: I should cook my grandfather's dish. We're actually doing the, those same peppers, but on a on a burger.
2: Mm, you yeah. know, we
1: love burgers in America. Oh yeah, it's, it's
2: okay. We love we burgers. Love, burgers love burgers too. <laughs> yeah,
0: we, we we make a joke about it, but actually, we like burgers a whole bunch as well. Yeah. Another reason why you have to come to Bristol: there are some awesome burger places. In are Bristol. there?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, I bet the beef here is great.
0: We're uh, we're really trying to get Justin to come to Bristol.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just take a different car and go yeah. there. Yeah, better than Birmingham.
2: (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) I wanted to ask you, so you do um, some charity work with an organization called share our strength. I thought it might be a nice just to give them a little plug. If you could tell us about what they do.
1: Yeah. So share our strength is the largest childhood hunger charity in the world. And they use chefs to share our strength. So they started off uh, doing dinners where we would raise money and then doing um, uh, what they would call taste of the nation. So it was each, each state would do um, uh, sort of a walk around fundraiser and chefs would do little booths and do food and they'd raise money For kids, there's a lot of kids in America that that they call it's called food insecure, which means they don't know when or what their next meal would be, which is terrifying. And in a in in an area where I live, which is I wouldn't, you definitely not poor, um, is still. Massively food insecure, so it's it's like you know you have a you have a son eating octopus as his favorite food and going to one star restaurants and 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 uh, Barcelona at four, and you. I'm not doing what I need to do with what I do. So you know, it became a passion once we had a had a had a child. Realized that, that other kids just don't get these opportunities, mm. and, and how important it was for food for kids, and just making it exciting and fun. and And, and that's why I think kids are losing the idea of like. You know, that meal, that, sun, that Sunday roast, you know what I mean? Where you sit around and it's not about the food, it's about... It's about the company. The company. And so if you have if you, if you have great food memories, and it's not just like I'm starving and I haven't eaten anything, so I eat a bunch of crap. Yeah. And you move on to the next yeah. thing, you know what I mean? So it, they uh, recently, Share Our Strength has uh, created something called Chef Cycle. I'm a big cyclist and um, I was on the very first ride. I think it was 17 chefs and we rode from Santa Barbara to San Diego and we raised money. Um, and so, after the first year, I think we raised like 200000 and wow. now they're up to like $2 million.
0: Wow. So, okay. they take
1: chefs, sharing their strength. Yes. Chefs <laughs> tend to be pretty fanatical people. Um, and we do <laughs> dinners, and we raise money on our own, and, and we put that money into the pot, and then we raise even more money when we're doing the ride. And it's, it's a really special thing to be a part of, and it feels good to, to help.
0: Do you think that in America, child hunger and food insecurity is a, is a hidden issue? Do you think it's something that people are embarrassed to talk about?
1: Yeah, it's 100%. Um, you know, having a child, you have firsthand experience. And, and once I started doing this, my son, you know, when you ride a bike, we have to do 300 mile rides in a, in a row. You need to ride to even for it remotely to be fun. Yeah. Um, and I was a big cyclist anyway, but I started ramping up my riding when I would do that every year because it's a lot of riding. And so I'd be on my trainer in the winter in Maine. I'd be out in snow riding, you know, everyday riding, riding. That riding. is fanatical. But I'd be on my trainer at eight o'clock night with my son doing his homework and he'd be like what are you doing and and they'd be like i'm helping kids and so they really became brilliant yeah and then i we asked him like you know are there kids that get because there's kids if you can't afford lunch at school they there's a there's a little pamphlet you fill out and it's taken care of But what I learned through Share Our Strength was almost 80% of the people that are food insecure won't fill that paper out. (laughs)
2: Because they don't want people to know. Because they
1: don't want people to know. And also, there's a huge amount of subsidy... Opened up by the gov- federal government to the states if they can show their X amount percentage food insecure. So Sheriff Strength spends a lot of time trying to unlock those subsidies because mm. they're there. Mm. Like we've provided them. Like our tax dollars have provided, and we do want to help these. people. So
0: they're not necessarily being used. So there's a
1: there's a, a lot of stuff going on with that. Um, so you know the more money they can dump into the system, the better. Basically. Yeah. But what we learned through our son was there was kids that um, that would go to they would come in for school and they would go to the nursing office and what they what they did was is they figured they'd hide they put snacks in the nurse the nurse's office in our school and that's where the kids would get their snacks and same thing with backpacks and things we asked them like yeah there's kids that come to school with plastic bags not backpacks and my son would get a new backpack every year and i was like can we do can we help can we give the kids the backpacks? Yeah. but the people don't want to, you know, I, and I get it. They don't want to accept, they don't want to mm. accept the fact that they need mm. help. So, um, yeah, it's a huge problem. And, in in really tough, you know, areas I learned through Shara strength, we stopped at a boys and girls club, a few of them in California, which of course is a, one of the wealthiest. Uh, I mean, as a country, I think it's fifth wealthiest in the world. Right. So, mm. um, and it's not a country, it's just one of our States. Um, they had spectacular programs for these kids because once the kids are in the school every day, they get no meals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So in the summertime is one of the most dangerous parts for kids. So yeah. they had there's a, a huge push for doing summer meals and, and there's, you know, Strength Strength's doing a massive amount of work and, and and a bunch of other organizations as well. So we try to be involved with as much of that as we possibly can.
2: We actually interviewed someone uh, earlier this week um, talking along the same lines about, you know, children and, and, and not getting the food that they need and what happens during the school holidays oh, and all yeah. of that oh, sort yeah. 100%. of thing. And sadly, we would think that in the States, in the UK, in Australia, we wouldn't see a need for share our strength or fair share. Yeah. But we do. And it's, it's really nice that. People like you are supporting
1: it. Yeah. I mean, I think if, uh, you know, I think we should all do more, but you do what you can. And, you know, one of the things we do do now is we've volu- all, we, once we opened our own restaurant, we decided we weren't going to cook Thanksgiving dinner anymore in the restaurant. Um, so we volunteer. And, you know, I, a friend of mine is a chef, retired, sort of retired chef. He works still in the business. I said, hey, um, we're looking for donations. Um, you know, is there any way you could, you know, maybe your company could donate like 50 bucks or 100 bucks or something? I forget what it was. Um, and, and I was like, well, what do you need? And he said, well, I need, we just need, we just need, we, we don't have enough money to buy all the food. And I was like, well, I don't understand. And he's like, oh yeah, we do this thing every year. And you know, I'm like, well, do you need help? And he's like, yeah, sure. If you feel like it. So we donated 150 pounds of green beans the first year. And then I went, I had no idea what to expect. I think this is Bunkport, Maine, you know, right? Like nice area what could this be? Well, 600 meals later. Wow. I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. So now we do three days of volunteering. Um, you know, I have some incredibly generous business partners that have donated turkeys and different things. And, um, we, you know, we donate a ton of our time it's several of us that go, our son's done it, um, every year and, um, it feels really good. So our Thanksgiving meal happens at seven o'clock at night on Thanksgiving. So it's really important to us to, you know, to try to do something, mm. you know, I'd love to do a sort of pay what you can at the restaurant someday. Mm. I just don't, I can't quite figure out, I, I'd have a hard time. Again, you'll run into the same problem where people don't want to come because they think mm. they're, you know, so we'd have to figure out a way to do it, but I would love to be able to do that.
2: That would be incredible. Yeah. And does your son like to cook at home?
1: He is, he likes to eat. <laughs> yeah. So he is very specific on what he wants. So when you say, what do you want for dinner? It's like ridiculously specific. It's not. Can you give us an example? So you asked me what my favorite food was. You know what his least favorite food is? So this is all for all UK listeners out there. You know what his least favorite food is? Macaroni and cheese. He would rather do homework for 10 hours in a row than eat one piece of macaroni and
0: cheese. Wow. What a kid. Yeah,
1: thinks it's disgusting.
0: What was he? What was his favorite? His
1: favorite food is octopus. Oh, no question.
0: He sounds like a ledge.
1: Yeah, he is. Uh, How old is
0: he again? He's nine. That's what I thought. So he had Brilliant. he
1: had octopus in his first time he had octopus was in Barcelona when he was four, and it was at um, at Tapas Twenty Four, which is you know amazing restaurant, amazing chef, and he. You know, I was like, you want, you know, he's the rule is you try once. If you don't like it, no problem. And like, you should have seen him. It was like pretty, pretty intense. And now it's literally his favorite thing.
2: So does it so dad would you mind picking me up some? so for christmas, christmas for christmas
1: every year i asked him two years ago what he wanted for christmas and he said octopus and my wife said you can't serve octopus for christmas i said why not so we do it as an appetizer I just so
2: you
1: know i do the thing and we see her and they have it as you know he takes a little pick and he'll yeah. eat like half an octopus himself impressive just, yeah
0: do you know there are worse things for nine-year-old kids to want to so eat, just all the things that they don't eat are worse like you know no vegetables
1: and then you know chocolate like you think kids you know the sugar thing in america is really horrible you know we i'm not like i'm not like perfect i like to eat i eat fast food every once in a while i always regret it every i regret it every time you know and i'm like what am i doing but you know it happens here and there right Mm -hmm. you know and you figure kids in america eat too much sugar and this sort of thing and um through our when when my wife was pregnant with our son we went to um uh Innsbruck, Austria, and she she was very pregnant and you know they're famous for their like really creative chocolate bars and things. And we bought a bunch of them, we tasted a bunch of them. Chocolate wasn't like a thing when she was pregnant. It, it was this very specific type of hot dog that they make in this one place in Maine, which is spectacular and it's a very interesting flavor combination. Okay, now you have to tell us. So it's a it's a relish made with onions and cloves and it's really dark and it has it has mayonnaise and celery salt sounds it is the most delicious like in it my son it's the only way he eats them in this place if you're under if you're under if you're over 12 you can't order a hot dog with ketchup they won't allow you to
2: i'm sorry you have to have it ketchup or whatever i like
1: right so but this is one of those places and the the granddaughter actually works for us now of this place called flows um, so this is the kid grew up kind of like it, you are what you eat big you know massively so anyway so we had all these chocolates and never thought anything of it well we did an event um, with valrona in New York well, in conjunction with valrona and my son it's one of the first events he's done a chef event and he you know he peeled off and was trying food and he was eating all kinds of weird stuff and he was blown away he was like daddy you gotta try this chocolate and he's like eating all the valrona chocolate so <laughs> it's not like volume he's just got a very 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 keen palate I'm like of course you like the Valrana chocolate <laughs> <laughs> little brat
0: <laughs> and octopus he yeah, has got was... a, a refined what? and expensive palate he
1: has an expensive palate don't is, let him
0: try it, caviar it is our
1: lives. He likes caviar. He had caviar. Of he,
2: does. <laughs> he had
1: caviar. A friend of mine is an amazing pastry chef, very renowned female uh, pastry chef, and she's um, she's Venezuelan. And she made a goat cheese stuffed um, macaron macaroon with caviar on top. I'm all and
2: here she for gave the goat him goat cheese stuffed macaroon, not the caviar. Well, I, she I gave him
1: one. This is her thing, though. Really creative and like savory flavors. And she gave him one, and I was like looking out of the corner of my eye, and I was like, "What did you think?" It's like that salty stuff on top was delicious. <gasps> I'm like yeah we're in trouble because his mother likes caviar too
2: uh. I see. I I'm, I'm worried that. for you and your son's palate. Yeah,
1: we've created a monster for sure. But, <laughs> but, you know, it goes to show you that, you know, if you try and you give your your the next generation half of an opportunity, you know, stop wasting. I mean, all that. One thing I learned through share our Strength is all of that convenience food is expensive. It is not any more money. It doesn't cost any more money to actually make yourself a real meal. Mm. So, yes, we're talking about caviar and a chocolate, and that's a whole other end of this spectrum right but if you just take a little bit extra time you can Mm. create another you can create a generation that's just gonna they're just gonna do away with all the crap you know
0: amazing pretty perfect end i think so too we're out of time it's been fab thank you justin thank you so much i know you literally flew into the uk this morning and you're probably absolutely shattered and ready for bed but it's been an absolute pleasure
1: thank you